Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to another fun, fantabulous episode of The Christian Skeptic. A podcast where you are free to think um, about freedom, which is what we've been talking about, right? Over the past, uh, gosh, three, maybe four episodes now, I, honestly, I've lost count. We've been talking about freedom, and we just concluded with this idea of free will. And I made the bold, <laughs> audacious claim that if you believe in God as a Christian, you will believe in free will. And if you're a Christian, you might stop and think, yes. There it is. There's there's the victory answer to the doubt we've been looking for. But if you're not a Christian or you're just uber skeptical like me, what your next thought is, just as my next thought is, is, okay, so I believe in God. I believe in the God of the Bible, and that makes me free, right? But then the Bible comes back and says, here is all the rules you must follow. And so it's like the Bible hands you your freedom and then takes it right back, doesn't it? How is Christianity then not just a straitjacket? <laughs> How is it not the padded room that you are confined to while you know the rest of the outside world around you is free, absolutely free to do anything and be anything they ever wanted, but you have a set of rules to follow. You have a set of commandments and proverbs and thoughts that you must orchestrate and orient your life around in order to be a Christian. How is that not then bondage of religion. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today in this episode. Have you ever seen the movie iRobot with Will Smith? Yeah, the one that was made like 20 years ago. So there's, and spoiler alert, right? There's that scene at the end of the movie where Will Smith, uh, his character, and, and the robot he's teamed up with, they've completed the mission, right? And the robot looks at him and says, now that I have fulfilled my purpose, I don't know what to do. And the detective says back to the robot, I guess you'll have to find your way like the rest of us. That's what it means to be free. And, and what he communicates there is actually a very powerful idea of our cultural definition of freedom in which uh, we currently live. And, and by that, I do restrict it to the United States and Western thinking societies on what our view of freedom is. But we think freedom is the absence of restrictions. But perhaps it's worth pointing out that freedom isn't that simple, that freedom isn't just the absence of restrictions, that freedom is the right restrictions placed on the right person at the right time. And that's because the definition of freedom isn't a negative definition. We think of freedom in the negative terms. Freedom is without restrictions. Freedom is minus restrictions. But really, true freedom is a positive termed freedom which is what I just said. Freedom is the right restrictions for the right person at the right place at the right time. And let me explain what I mean by that. You see, if you wanted to become the next Beethoven, if you wanted to become the next greatest pianist in the world, if you wanted to become the next greatest violinist in the world, if you wanted to set yourself so that you could play on the world's stage of music so freely and effortlessly, you could play whatever you want. You could write music. You could compose a symphony that would captivate the hearts and minds of millions of people around the world. What you need to start doing is adding restrictions to your life. In order to experience that freedom that you desire as a musician, you need to place restrictions on your life now. You need to place restrictions to learn 
and to practice music. You need to place restrictions on your life that say, I can't do this thing right now because I'm learning this skill on this musical instrument so that one day I can experience the freedom of being the kind of musician I want to be. Substitute music for sports, right? Say say you want to be a, a soccer player or a foosball player or a basketball player or whatever. You have to put restrictions on your life in order to experience the freedom on the court or the field that you ultimately desire. And then it has to be on the right person, right? If you want to be the world's greatest piano player and you were born without arms, it doesn't matter how many restrictions you place on your life to practice the piano. I mean, I suppose you could do it with your feet, so this might not actually be the best example. But say you wanted to be the best linebacker in the NFL possible, and you have 4% body fat, you're five foot two, you weigh 120 pounds, and genetics have predispositioned you to be this way. You can show up to the football practice all you want. You can start lifting weights. You can take protein and creatine and all kinds of other teens all throughout your teens. <laughs> but you're never going to be the greatest linebacker in the NFL because the right restrictions were placed on the wrong person. And, and there's no liberation there either, right? Now, say your genetics predispositioned you to be seven foot tall and to be... 280 pounds of pure muscle and you so much as looked at a weight you gained muscle right all you got to do now is put the right restrictions on on your life because you're the right person and you can be that linebacker in the nfl but it also depends on when you do this right and just follow me on this metaphor as we continue with this linebacker metaphor if you start these restrictions say at age 15 you're going to do pretty well if you start these restrictions at age 65, you probably won't make the NFL. You would be definitely the <laughs> only person <laughs> above age, I don't even know, 40, 45 when these guys retire in the NFL, right? So not only do you have to have the right restrictions, you have to be the right person, it has to be the right time, and it has to be the right place in history. And that one's a little more obvious. If you put these restrictions on yourself before football was even invented, then it makes no sense and you would be mad. And so that was a simplistic metaphor that I just used to get across the bigger truth point or truth claim that Christianity makes that I'm trying to communicate here, which is that it's actually the restrictions that give us the freedom. And so there's a couple ways I'd like to look at this. I'd like to, in the short time that we have left, look at this from kind of a logical, scientific, albeit engineering perspective, um, and that's the argument of design. I'd like to look at this through a social perspective, which is the argument of community and inclusivity and exclusivity of community. And then I think it's probably best to look at it through a religious and cultural perspective as well. So starting off with the perspective of design, right? The logical scientific engineering perspective. If you design something, uh, say it's a car, say I'm designing this car, I am designing it to operate within certain parameters, right? And let's take it one step further and say it's a sports car. Let's say I, I am designing this sports car, which when you get behind the wheel of this thing, you can mash down the gas pedal, you can roll the windows down, feel the wind in your hair, and you can go really fast and have really accurate, precise, precision steering. You can have excellent braking in this thing. You can have a transmission that shifts smooth as butter, and you can experience the freedom in this car that say you couldn't experience in something like a Toyota Camry or a Ford Focus. If you've ever driven a sports car, you know what I'm talking about. There's this, this feeling of freedom you get. Well, 
What if you take that sports car to Zion National Park and you want to take this sports car all the way up one of the mountains there? That sports car is not going to experience any freedom at all. Something like a truck or a Jeep or something might, but that sports car is going to get stuck very, very quickly and literally not move. <laughs> literally have no freedom. And why is that? Well, because it wasn't designed to go climb mountains, right? If you want to take this thing all the way up the Rocky Mountains, you're not going to get very far. You may get a, a few feet off the ground, but you're not going to get the hundreds and hundreds of feet up that you could in something else or even just hiking the mountains, right? And that's because you're, you're using this thing outside of the purpose it was designed for. Well, the same can be said philosophically in Christianity, that Christianity lays out this philosophy that says we were made in God's image and that God designed us with a specific purpose. And we've, we've had discussions about this before in other episodes, and so I encourage you to go back and look through those, but we've had this discussion where being made in God's image puts the design purpose on us to know and love God and to live in community with God and God's people. And so when we operate outside of that, we're not actually going to experience the freedom we're meant to experience. And so God has to then lay out some commandments, lay out some ground rules, lay out some operating parameters for us so that we know how to live out our true design, so that we know where to operate our design intent, right? Think back to the sports car. You drive this thing off-road, it's going to suck. But you drive this thing on a perfectly flat surface or maybe even up uh, a, a canyon road that's been paved and has some really nice turns in it. You can just whip this sports car around the turns and accelerate hard and brake hard and really feel those G-forces. Man, you're going to have a blast in that thing because you're operating it in the realm it's designed to operate. Well, similarly, we as humans are designed to operate inside a certain realm, and there we'll find our truest freedom. Like the violinist who dedicates herself to hours and hours and hours of practice and then finds herself in Carnegie Hall playing for hundreds and thousands of people. Or the linebacker who dedicates his himself to practice and, and tackle drills and I don't know, other things that football players do and finds himself in the Super Bowl right? Getting that ring or getting that trophy thing at the end. You understand my point, right? When you operate in the design parameters in which you're meant to operate and you put the right restrictions on yourself, that's the only place you're going to feel that freedom. And so, okay, great. There's freedom in Christianity, right? And the Bible even talks about that. The Bible says that we have freedom in Christ. We have a liberty that we're not bound entirely by all of the commandments in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so then why isn't the Christian community completely inclusive? Why is it then that if you go to a church and you're practicing a homosexual lifestyle, the church will ask you to give up that lifestyle, right? Or you go to a church and you're an alcoholic and the church will say, hey, you need to give up that lifestyle. Here's a recovery program for you. Or if you go to the church and you're addicted to pornography, the church will say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Here's a recovery program for you. There's freedom, right? Why, why can't we be completely inclusive? After all, human communities should be <laughs> completely inclusive, right? Especially Christianity, open to all. Be just because we're all humans. Well, as Dr. Timothy Keller points out, communities must have identity. That's actually what makes them communities. Because if the community has no identity, you could just interchange the word community with humanity. 
And that, as we know from Aristotle's basic first principle of logic called the law of identity, it breaks the law of identity. These are two separate words because they have two separate definitions. And so Tim Keller points out any community that did not hold its members accountable for specific beliefs and practices would have no corporate identity and would not really be a community at all. We cannot consider a group exclusive simply because it has standards for its members. Is there then no way to judge whether a community is open and caring rather than narrow and oppressive? Yes, there is. Here's a far better set of tests. Which community has beliefs that lead its members to treat persons in other communities with love and respect to serve them to meet their needs? Which community has beliefs that lead it to demonize and attack those who violate their boundaries rather than treating them with kindness, humility, and winsomeness? We should criticize Christians when they are condemning and ungracious to unbelievers, but we should not criticize churches when they maintain standards for membership in accord with their beliefs. Every community must do the same. And that goes the same for example for the LGBTQ, AIP plus community. And I think that I said that right. And if I didn't, please forgive me. But it's true. You can't just walk in there and believe and practice whatever you want and want to be accepted by that community. If you walk into the LGBTQ plus community and you tell them, I think homosexuality is a sin and you're all going to hell, you're not going to be welcome into that community. And so communally, socially then, if you want freedom within a community to be accepted and loved, there are again boundaries. And this is again for any community, including the Christian community, the Christian church. There are certain boundaries, certain restrictions that must be adhered to in order to experience the freedom of community. And then we got to bridge the gap now between community and culture slash religious practice. And the bridge in that gap is the bridge of love. I don't think it's going to sound very foreign for me to say this statement that love is the ultimate freedom. And yet at the same time, it's logical for those of us that have experienced love to also understand that love is more constraining than most other freedoms. Again, to quote Dr. Timothy Keller, he says, One of the principles of love, either love for a friend or romantic love, is that you have to lose independence to attain greater intimacy. If you want the quote-unquote freedoms of love, the fulfillment, security, sense of worth that it brings, you must limit your freedoms in many ways. You cannot enter a deep relationship and still make unilateral decisions or allow your friend or lover no say in how you live your life. To experience the joy and freedom of love, you must give up your personal autonomy. A love relationship limits your personal options. Again, we are confronted, Keller continues, with the complexity of the concept of freedom. Human beings are most free and alive in relationships of love. We only become ourselves in love, and yet healthy love relationships involve mutual unselfish service, a mutual loss of independence. Freedom, then, is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it's finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and liberate us. And it's true. The most extreme and probably easiest to visualize example is love in a marriage, where we make vows, right? Unto thee I pledge myself forsaking all others is the traditional marriage vow, right? The forsaking all others and the unto thee part means I am restricting my freedoms for the rest of my life to ever romantically pursue anyone except for you. And why would anyone choose that? Well, because we realize the greatest freedom that allows us to be ourselves to, as Tim Keller said, restrict ourselves in a way that best fits our nature and liberates us is to enter love relationships. Again, be they romantic or just friendships. And so what does this do then to culture? Well, it liberates culture. And we see that in Acts chapter 15, right? 
where Gentiles are declared to be Christians. But they didn't have to enter Jewish culture because no culture owns Christianity. That Christianity is the liberator of, as Revelation depicts it, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so what does that mean? Well, what that means is that you can have a nation practicing something evil and atrocious like slavery, and we talked about this a little bit in the slavery episode, but you can have a nation practicing this stuff, and Christianity can come into that nation and can liberate it and can say, no, every person is made in the image of God. And Christianity can literally free slaves, as it's done for multiple nations. And Christianity can end segregation because you can have a pastor, a theologian, PhD pastor like Martin Luther King Jr. go around the entire country preaching sermons, not just giving pep talks and saying, don't be racist, but saying, no, this is what the Bible says. This is what Christianity says. And it can end segregation. And civil rights can be something that everyone inherits regardless of culture, regardless of skin color, regardless of background, sexual history, sin history, whatever. Christianity can liberate because it's the right restrictions. It's operating in the parameters in which we were meant to operate, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, to honor your father and mother, to not lie, steal, or covet to not worship idols or other gods before the one true God. You want to talk about anxieties and depression going away? You want to talk about what it actually means to live in a culture and a society that is fair and treats people fair regardless of class or race? You want to talk about revival because that's what happens in history. When we look at history and we see the progression of things and we see just that progress, progression being made, We see a lot of it driven by revivals, which is society, and not just the church, realizing that mankind was meant to live within certain restrictions, restrictions that liberate us to our fullest potential, like the sports car, like the musician, like the football player. And so in that way, Christianity isn't a, here's your freedom, now give it back. It's a, here's your freedom, now here's how to go get it. It's a, here's your freedom, and the secret sauce is you in this. And don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying you're the secret to your salvation. That's not biblical. Salvation is, is by grace. I'm talking about already in Christianity, already being saved. Jesus saves you from your sins. You're freed from that. You're shown the potential of freedom you have. And then the difference between how free you feel in life versus how anxious, depressed, worried, bound to desires or substances or sin, the difference between that is what you do with the restrictions God has given you or what you don't do with them. If you follow them, you're going to find the freedom. If you don't follow them, you're not going to find the freedom. You don't have to. You don't have to obey, right? That's the whole point of grace, but you get to. And that's the freedom in the restrictions and the commandments in Christianity. But unfortunately, I have restricted this podcast to time limits, and so I am not free by my own restrictions to just go on rambling and rambling for hours and hours and so that is all the time we have for today but i hope you've enjoyed the episode and as always thank you so much for listening and i hope you enjoy the show